you don't have to work at being depressed. No, you don't have to seek it. You don't have to work at it. But if you're going to maintain and sustain joy, it's going to take a real commitment to not look at the things that depress you. Not gaze and fix your gaze upon the things that hurt you and harm you. It's a matter of focus. Everybody say focus. The Bible said, and I, I, I hesitate to go there because I go there so often, but we need to get it down in our spirit. If you're going to run with perseverance the race that is set before us, if you're going to finish your course, as Paul said, I've not only run the race, I've fought a good fight. And everybody say fight. And if you don't learn how to fight the good fight of faith, you will never win victories in Jesus. Amen. Nothing is just going to happen that we don't fight for. We, we, need to, we need to contend. I suppose it's needful, he said to the church, I suppose it's needful that I write unto you, Paul writing, that you earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. If you don't contend for it, if you don't put up a real fight for it, you're going to allow the enemy to dismantle it and try to destroy it. But you've got to put up a fight for it. And you've got to fight for everything. Amen. This was the problem with Israel. There's walled cities. We'll have to fight. There's fierce armies. We'll have to fight. There's giants in the land. We'll have to fight. We don't want to fight. We don't want to go over and possess it. We want God to just hand it to us with no fight. And the thing was, when they came up against the first big obstacle, which was, which was that walled city that they exaggerated, said it was walled up to heaven, which it wasn't that big. It was big. It was intimidating and imposing. When they came up against that city... <laughs> the first thing God said to them when they thought they were going to have to, in their own strength, take it when they didn't get out of Egypt in their own strength. God parted the water. God destroyed that army. They forgot the hand of the Lord that brought them up out of the land of bondage. And they turned back and limited God. Can you say amen? How, what would happen if we took the limits off of God and He could do everything He promised and everything He purposes in all of our life? That's better than an amen. Everybody say, wow. Now say it backwards. Wow. Wouldn't that be... What if God could keep every promise that He's made to you in the Bible that you believe? What if He could have His way? What if there was no limit on Him? Amen. What would happen? What would we see? Hallelujah. But the enemy works overtime to keep us not focusing on past victories or, or, or present help, but always on those distracting, disrupting, discouraging things that are all around us. That's why the Bible said, Let thine eyes look straight on before thee. Look neither to the right hand nor to the left hand. Everybody say focus. Amen. Lay aside every sin and weight that does so easily beset you and run with patience the race that is set before you. The word there is not take a number and wait on God. The word is perseverance. It's seek Him till He come and reign righteousness. It's seek Him till He come. It's seek Him till He come. It's seek Him 
until he come. Amen. Listen to me carefully. This is important. If you don't put up a fight for the faith, the faith will be uh, will be dismantled in this generation. The devil is fighting overtime to do that. If you don't put a f- up a fight for the peace that is yours in Christ, you will lose your peace. You will lose it. It's just that simple. I've lost it, I know. And I've had to regain it by putting up a fight for it. I've had to fight the enemy who is a liar. But he tries to validate his lies with circumstances. Amen? With circumstances. If God loved you, why would he let this happen to you? Well, the devil is doing it. God isn't shielding me in the sense of not going through anything, but he promised a sufficiency of his grace when I do go through it. Now, either it is sufficient or it isn't sufficient. I can declare unto you today his grace is sufficient. Amen. Because because God knows what you can stand. And here's a scripture, and I can't get where I was going yet. I've got to stay on this thing for a little while. If we let the Holy Spirit take control, we might beat the rain. But if we don't beat the rain, you won't melt. Look at somebody and say, use awful sweet. I know it's bad grammar, but say, use awful sweet. But you will not melt. Can you say amen? <laughs> amen. How many would agree you won't melt even if it rains? Listen to me. I've been in deep, dark valleys. Uh, when I conducted a funeral, I remember Bob Pogue used to be our bla- bass player. And I conducted a funeral, and, and he was uh, got out and was waiting for me to come out. And he was standing beside my wife, and him and his wife. And, and, uh, and so I came out of conducting the funeral, and it was a saint going to heaven. And there was, a, there was joy. Even the funeral director uh, both wept and and smiled at the end of it because of the the joy that we had in our our hope in Jesus. And this funeral director see a lot of things, and they're rarely ever moved. It's a professional thing with them uh, to not get so personally involved. But the the weeping wasn't because of the loss and the people weeping, but just the fact that God's presence was in that room. And I came out, and I had prayed. We'd been through a family process. It was a serious family problem. It had kept me up all night. I tried to sleep, and sleep wouldn't come. I knew I have to conduct this funeral tomorrow, and I really don't feel like getting out of bed. Have you ever been in that condition? I I need to be relevant to the people that don't know Jesus, and yet I wish that I could call Brother Taylor. (laughs) And it wasn't recent, but I'm just using you as an example. I wish I had a a stand-in and I could call them and say, would you please take care of this? I, I really don't feel up to the task. Have you ever not felt up to the task that you know that you're supposed to fulfill? I don't feel like a good witness today. I don't feel like I can be without putting it on, uh, being 100% real and yet not like others who have no hope. I read a scripture that helped me, and the scripture that helped me was this. Uh, We are persecuted, but not destroyed. Paul, we have this treasure in an earthen vessel that the excellency of the power might be of God and not of ourself. The closer you get to someone under the anointing, the more you're going to see the earthiness of the vessel. 
And you're going to wonder sometime, how can the excellency of that kind of anointing come through that clay vessel, that cracked pot? Not cracked pot, cracked pot. And if you lived in that day, they got it. They understood this earthen vessel because when the Roman soldier, part of his pay was sharing in the, the places they had ransacked. They, they got part, part of their pay by getting part of the booty, part of what they had ransacked. And they would have gold bracelets and necklaces and, and, and a Roman soldier was even afraid. To be on the road home by himself on leave with his treasure for getting robbed and killed. There was no forensics to tie you. The only thing could tie you to a crime then was an eyewitness to point you out. So dead men, pirates didn't start that. That started with every murder that's ever been committed all the way back. Amen. If there's nobody to, to see you and nobody to put the finger on you you're home free so they killed and that's why on the road to damascus that's why this man on the jericho road rather that's why that's why they left him for dead they thought they had beat him to death or or cut him bad enough he would bleed out when the good samaritan came and took him and and god helped him on the way home what the roman soldier would do he would dress down he didn't dress up, he dressed down, looked like a very poor man. He would go to a pottery shop and he would buy a pot that was cracked or flawed, something that was very cheap, and he would put all the gold and silver into that pot so that when the thief saw him, he'd say, he ain't worth robbing. You see, that's why I love parking my Astro van in the parking lot of Walmart. So I can shop without worrying about getting a ding on it. If, however, I had an Escalade, I would get me a pit bull. No, I'd get two pit bulls and tie it to the front and rear bumper. And I'd hire Sean. To make sure nobody dinged my doors or stole my tires. Can you say, man? You would worry about it. Somebody's going to ding it. They would dress down. So when Jesus said, we have a treasure in an earthen vessel, he's saying what you have in Christ is so powerful, so precious, so priceless. But it's in a vessel that's flawed. It's in an earthen vessel. How many know the Holy Spirit? You know what God has done through Jesus is so absolutely amazing, Brother Taylor. That He could do something in your inward man that is so mighty in sanctification that the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit can come and live in you and me. Inhabit an earthen vessel. And you know what that did? It allowed for my humanity. I remember one time my humanity came out, which, i.e., in effect, my flesh uh, showed up and showed out. Uh, I, was, I was bivocational for 12 years out of the 44. 12 years I was out there in the other world, not clergy world, but, you know, the, 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 
the working place and and uh, and and I went through some things and and my 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 emotions got pressed to their limits you're in production and and bosses are making decisions that are counterproductive and they won't listen to employees that try to help them help us so we can get the product out. And how many has been in that situation? And Doug is giving me a high five. No, it's a high ten. He took his shoes off and lifted both feet also. Don't look back. He's putting his socks back on. Amen. He's been there. If you've ever worked in the public, you know what I'm talking about. I got so mad. I walked over to a, a, a tub on rollers. It was it was rubber. A rubber tub where we took and recycled things in. Uh, and I went over and I, I just I didn't know what to do but I had to do something what can I do without sinning be angry and send out what can I do without sinning to express how I feel right now and I, I didn't take karate and don't look at me now I can't kick as high as I did back then I was 50 back then I was wild back when I was 50 oh man hey to be 50 again right hey people think 50's old honey where did you get where me and brother Taylor are 50 ain't no, oh I'll trade I'll take 50. Amen. <laughs> I walked up to that tub and I, I I kicked higher. I hit it and I knocked that tub over and it went across the floor. And it was a big, heavy thing, you know. And I kicked it. And then I, I realized that people were looking at me. And I thought, I'm not supposed to lose it. I'm a Christian and I'm a preacher and I'm not supposed to lose it. And I went over and I picked it back up. I didn't apologize to it. I didn't feel the need. If you understand what I'm saying. But I felt apologetic. I lost it. But I lost it on an inanimate object. I'm sure the tub didn't have a problem. But people were looking at me. When I looked around, people were looking at me. He a preacher. He's a Christian. And he got mad. Well, see, the Bible didn't say don't get mad. It said, be angry and sin not. Now, I don't believe it was a sin for me to kick over the tub. Actually, it helped me bleed off some of that that had built up in me. Better to hit the tub than somebody. Number one, the tub don't hit back. (laughs) I remember when I played football. I, I was bad. This was BC. I played football. There was a friend of mine played on the same. You know, we played junior varsity, and 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 there, we we were playing guys from Hillsborough High that I think they purposely failed so they could keep playing varsity football. They had they were shaving, and we didn't even have peach fudge yet, fudge fuzz. And they were these were big guys, man. And they'd come across. And I remember the first time I saw what you saw in comic books. The first time I saw those little light bulbs going off like flash bulbs used to be. I remember when a guy come across and his coat. They, they Hillsborough at that time had a coach that taught them to play dirty just so you win. And they would come across and elbow underneath your. Your, your guard here, put their elbow in there on you to try to bust your nose or do what they could to debilitate you. And I was, on, I was, I was a defensive guard. And I remember they come across and they nailed my friend. He was standing right there and they nailed him and it knocked him flat on his back. And I thought, boy, I'm going to stand up. I'm so mad. And I was, I was five foot six. I've lost a little of that now as my bones are settling. Amen. 
<laughs> I was tall back then. I, I, th- I thought I was t- I had all the pads and everything, and I thought I was tall, and I took my helmet off. I wanted him to see my eyes. I wanted him to see my face. You talk about a game face. I was upset. I was angry. I was mad. I was fighting mad. I took off my helmet, and I threw it down, and I went over, and I shoved this big lineman from Hillsboro, and I said, if you want to hit somebody, hit me. I didn't think he would do it. I would have never said that. He hit me so he hit me with his fist and knocked me down. And then of course all the coaches and everybody's gonna try to disqualify everybody and and I went home and for one week he something happened to my jaw so it I I ate soup. My 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 stepdad was a fisherman. He had a bunch of fish and hush puppies and grits, and I couldn't chew. And I'm eating tomato soup. Because every time you put your mouth down, that jaw would just, oh, my goodness. Amen. Next night, they had steak. They had T-bone steak. And I couldn't chew. I thought about putting it in a blender and trying to suck it through a straw. I love steak. And that's how I learned to do sucker punches, which means do not telegraph that you're going to fight so you don't get hit first and hope that if you can hit somebody so hard they don't get up, that you could probably win. But if they do get up, you've got time to run. Can you? Because <laughs> if you hit them with everything you got and they still get up, there's no point in going any further. Why well, take the punishment and the pain just to be a big shot? But I, I was known for temper. It's amazing, you know, that James and John in Scripture, you talk about earthen vessels. James and John were known as these two men who followed Jesus as disciples who became apostles of the faith. What were they? James and John were called the sons of thunder because they were always getting into fights. They're angered. They couldn't control it. You mess with them, you're going to have a fight on your hands. And they had to be tempered and they had to learn. And the treasure was placed in earthen vests. Peter Oh, we we love Paul. We thank God for Paul. Paul with his revelations. Paul, 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. Paul, the, uh, the, the, the perfect example of an apostle and a Christian and a follower of Jesus. And yet the apostle Paul had his own elements to deal with. And one of them was pride because of the revelations. Falling into a pride because of the good God things that God had given him. And he said, lest... He had to learn this. He didn't understand it at first. There was an emissary from Satan allowed in the permissive will of God to buffet him. And he prayed for God to put a stop to it. I'm sure he rebuked the devil. I'm sure he petitioned heaven because three times he prayed for this thing. It's in the way of my preaching. It's in the way of my ministry. It's an, it's an impedance to me. And I got big plans to do things for God. And all of these problems and pressures keep showing up. And I find myself, instead of preaching and studying and praying, I'm just on my face trying to get enough grace to stand up under these pressures. Lord, get rid of all this stuff. It's in the way. 
And three times heaven is brass. No answer, no answer, no answer. And when God did speak to him, he said, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is perfected in weakness. So we don't try to get the vessels perfected. We try to get our faith in His grace perfected. And His sufficiency perfected. And He said, my strength, literally one translation said, my strength shows up best in weak people. And we look at someone under the anointing and think there's a paragon of spiritual power. I want to be like them. Well, if you want to be like them, first you're going to have to be like Him, and that's Jesus Christ. And if you want to follow Jesus, you have to take up a cross. And part of the cross is not just the persecutions, but your own and my own fleshly reactions to them. My flesh has an aversion to a cross. Because a cross is going to put it under pressure and cause it pain. You can't carry a cross. It's not just packing the cross over your back. It's being crucified on it. When it said take up your cross to follow Christ, it's following him in his death that you might also know him in the power of his resurrection. And when every time that I get angry and want to kick over something, and I am able... For Jesus' sake, to pull that back. See, it happened to me at Tampa Electric. I've been out in the real world. I'm glad I've been out in the real world. Man up a pole. He's got a mouthful of tobacco. He's, he's, he's got a speech impediment. And you impede your speech anyway if you've got a big thing of a beech nut in your jaw. And, and, and he, he was a double dipper because he, he would put snuff. He loved tobacco, chewing and snuff. And he put snuff in his lower lip and then a, some beech nut back here. And so the tobacco is, is all the juices are forming with his saliva and they're making him saliv- salivate. And the wind is blowing. And he's, he hollers down at me on the ground. Hey! And when he says whatever he said, which I couldn't figure out, I was waiting for the interpretation when he got done. Amen. Lord, if you don't interpret to me, I don't know what he wants. I can't be a good worker. I don't know what he wants. But then on top of that, on top of that, a big brownish spit thing blew in the wind and come down and wrapped around my yellow hard hat. So I got spit on my hard hat. And now he's cussing me for not sending him what he wants when I can't hear him clearly. And I, I, I felt it coming on. I felt it coming on. And I said, Lord, if I pray, you'll give me grace. But I was so mad. I wanted to do something. First, <laughs> I don't know if you. I wanted to. I wanted to vent some of that. He's in the wrong. I'm in the right. What does he? I, listen. I'm a human being. I'm a man. I'm a human being. And so I, I, 
I went on the other side of the truck because he's up there yammering on. I went on the other side of the truck and I, I knew if I pray, God will give me grace to bear this. And I'm not sure I want to bear it yet. <laughs> I want to give him, I want to, I don't, I can't spit that high. Amen. I didn't want to, <laughs> but I wanted when he come down, boy, I wanted to let him know I'm little, but I'm wiry. Can you say, man, you, you, you can do a lot of things, but there's some lines that I draw. I'll do anything that you say until you start that kind of stuff. And when you, you know, but I prayed for the sake of my Christian witness. And I wish I could say I've never missed it in my whole life. But there are times when we miss it. But this is one of those victories. So I'm going to tell you about the victory. Hallelujah. I prayed. I said, Lord, please don't let me be a bad witness because everybody's seeing how I'm going to react to this. (laughs) See, it's a good thing and a bad thing. The good thing is you can have an influence for Christ. The bad thing is everybody's watching for you to fail. Can you say, man, listen to me carefully. Amen. And I I prayed. I said, Lord, help me. Help me not to lose it. See, I'd lost it back before I was a Christian. I knew that I can lose it. This is a big old boy, by the way, that was up there. He's way bigger than me. But you know when you lose it, I, I, I felt it don't matter. If I get in one good lick before I'm knocked out. At least, come on, I got a lick in. I feel so much better. (laughs) So I prayed. I said, Lord, Lord, help me, help me, help me, help me. Jesus, help me. And I just felt the sense that God understood me, number one. Not that I had to perform in a certain way to get Him to help me or to get Him to love me or accept me. I felt accepted in the Lord and I felt like He loved me and I felt like He understood me. It's so good not to not to give occasion for the flesh or, or open the door for making excuses, but I, it's so wonderful when you know that God is for you and God is with you. And if you call upon Him, He will help you with your weaknesses and your own inabilities. And I felt, I felt that sense of God with me. And I said, Lord, no matter what happens out here today. By the way, I had been so persecuted on the job. I had, I had my wife, I said, honey, out of our little bitty, bitty budget, give me enough money for a cab. I want to call a cab before I lose it completely out here. If, if God don't want me working here, if he don't give me grace to do it, I'm not going to continue to do it. But I will, I will walk to a... Back then we had pay phones. This is way back when. Amen. I will walk to a pay phone. I will call a cab. They'll figure out that I've quit later on. Can you say amen? But I will call a cab. The cab will take me to the parking lot where I drove out of in my truck. And uh, I will come home and God will give us another job. I don't have to put up with all of this to serve Jesus or to take care of my family. So I was prepared to go home. But the Lord prompted me to not go anywhere, not do anything, and to do something that's very difficult to do. The tongue. Everybody say the tongue. You know what the Bible says about it? It's set on fire of hell. By the way, when we're talking about the tongue, we're talking about your flesh and mine. Not just this little thing up here. It's only going to say what your brain tells it to. It doesn't have a mind of its own. 
Amen. How many know your tongue can't talk without you telling it what to say? It's only expressing what's in your heart. That's why the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And that's why if you want to discipline the tongue, then keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it, via the tongue, are the issues of life. You feel bad, you feel sad, you feel like God has dealt you a bad hand, and God is unfaithful, and you start confessing it with your mouth. Tongue is important. You're not saved until what's in your heart is expressed through your tongue. For with the heart man believes, incomplete. Unto righteousness, incomplete. But with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Now that don't mean you can't say you feel bad when you feel bad. But here's what you can't say. You can't start accusing God of being unfaithful. Because when that starts occurring, something has soured in your own spirit, in your own heart. Keep your heart, therefore, with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. Listen to me carefully. I, I, I just waited. I kept my mouth shut. I was in the right. He was in the wrong. There's a union steward on our crew. I could have told him I don't have to put up with this, and we'd ended up in the office. There would have been arbitration, and I didn't have to take that from anybody to keep my job. We could have went to that degree, but we didn't go anywhere. End of the day, this big man, I was in my 20s. He was in his late 40s, up on hooks, not a bucket. He was up on hooks, way up on a tall pole. Had to pull everything up on a hand line to him. He was sweating through his clothes. His knees were killing him because all his weight, 250 pounds at least, was on his ankles with those hooks. You climb the pole with hooks that he was hurting. He was in pain and he was hot and he was impatient and he came down from that pole he said hey and I thought if he cusses me again Lord I got grace to get this far give me a little the Bible you know what the Bible actually said when you're pressed to the limit he giveth more grace and I said Lord I need some more (laughs) I need it right here I need it right now if he starts cussing me I don't know I don't know. See, the devil will push you to what you think your limit is. So I went over ready to do whatever. You know what I was ready to do rather than lose my witness and get beat up? On top of that, I was ready to call that cab. I had cab money. Persecution had been so strong that I had cab money. I said, I will, I will, I'll, I'll walk, I'll hitchhike to a payphone, I'll call a cab, I'll go home, and I'll end up in the superintendent's office in the morning, and I will hand in my resignation so I don't have to do this to make a living. And I didn't have to do it to make a living. But I had to do it to be a living witness and a testimony. I don't know if you're listening to that. 
God would have opened another door. He's always opened doors to take care of his people. I've never seen the right. David, David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I've never seen anybody right with God and God abandoned them. I've never seen that. And I've never seen his seed out begging for bread because God will make a way. Can you say man? Hallelujah. He called me over. And I thought if he starts cussing, I don't know how this is going to go. But I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to get that cab. I'm going to go home. I'm going to tell my wife I quit. But I kept my testimony. But you see, the testimony was already having an effect. He said, Bob, I know I have a speech impediment. And I know it's hard to hear with all the things that's going on. And I know you want to do a good job. Bob, my legs are hurting me. They're killing me. But i got to keep working. i got to make it to retirement. And Bob... I just want you to know, and man, I I apologize. I apologize. Boy, I felt that I felt Jesus. I felt his goodness. I felt his grace. I wanted to hug him, but I was afraid to. Can you say that? (laughs) But I felt God's love for him. God's love for him, who I wished I was big enough to take on. I felt God's love for him. And I knew it wasn't my love for him. It had to be God's love for him. But when he apologized, my heart melted. There's something about that, isn't it? That God can can melt your heart. And my heart melted and the bitterness left. And I, I Actually, when I went on that crew, the crew was known to be the hardest to work with crew in the yard. And so a guy called in sick because he couldn't take it anymore. He kept calling in sick. Well, what they did, they took me off a very nice crew and they put me on that crew. And I thought, I'm going to work so hard. I'm going to do such a good job. Nobody's going to cuss me because there's nothing to cuss me for. I'm going to get it on. I'm going to get it right. And I got it on and I got it right. And the other fellow come back from sick leave. And guess what? The foreman and the lineman said, we want to keep him. I thought, this ain't, no, no, no. Come on, Lord. I survived. Don't, don't keep me on this crew. I stayed on that crew until I left Tampa Electric to pastor full time. God kept me on that crew. And I remember my last day. We pulled into the yard. And they gathered around me. They were shaking my hand because this was, we're not going to be working together anymore. Oh, we had some times out there when God came through. I could tell you stories of how God did things as a witness. And they knew that I was a man of prayer. And they knew God was a prayer answering God when we got through with our tenure together. And they were gathered around. And I remember the one guy, the foreman, he came up. He said, Bob, I guess you, I guess you prayed for us. The whole time you were on this crew, I said, I prayed for y'all and I prayed for myself. (laughs) Amen. I prayed for all of us while I was on this crew. And then they got serious. We had a good laugh and then they got serious. And they said, Bob, will you keep praying for us? 
Oh, man. And I said, Lord, that crucial, critical moment that I could receive and experience the sufficiency of your grace that I could also experience your love for someone that is so unlovable and unkind and to have compassion on that person rather than what anger was bringing forth in my life. And God said once again when I read that scripture years later we have this treasure in an earthen vessel that the excellency of the power might be of God and not of ourselves. And then including himself, Paul said, we are persecuted. The word in the Greek is chased as a deer. Chased as a deer. In other words, the enemy of our soul is constantly on our trail. He has one agenda, and that is to destroy us if he possibly can. Satan goeth about as a roaring lion, seeking, seeking whom he may devour. Amen. Praise God. Listen to this carefully. We are persecuted like that, but we are not destroyed. There is a shield of faith. It does quench every fiery dart of the wicked one. Can you say, man, hallelujah. There is spiritual armor. Glory to God. We are cast down. We, Paul. Isn't it something to see? I remember in the hyper-faith movement, a, a leader of one of the preachers leading this hyper-faith movement said, I never have a, a problem. All I have is solutions. I never have a bad day. Uh, he was in a Christian bookstore sneezing. And someone saw him sneezing and thought, you ought not be sneezing because you should never have any of these issues because you're in that level of faith. And, and he turned around and looked at him and told him, I'm being healed of a cold. I thought, you're being healed of a cold. Okay, that, that's a good confession. That's nothing bad about that. But when you can't admit, I went to a, one of these hyper-faith meetings. I wanted to hear what it's all about. I went to a meeting in, in, in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. Big hotel up on a hill that, that's in the round. And, and they had Phil, you know, Phil Driscoll was there. He came out at night, about 10 o'clock at night, stood on the balcony and played that trumpet. And we all just felt good in God. Amen. Oral Roberts supposed to be the keynote speaker. And uh, they had someone come and fill in for him because he couldn't come because he had the flu. And we're all saying, wait a minute. This is Oral Roberts. <laughs> he's going to come talk to us about laying hands on the sick in faith, and he's got the flu. Well, why did he have the flu? Could, could he still pray for anybody? Because he got the flu. He's supposed to be in some spiritual cocoon of faith. No, we have this treasure. We have this treasure. We have this treasure in an earthen vessel. The closer you get... I've got a friend, and I can't say too much. Some of this is private stuff. I say a little bit, because you'll never figure out who this is. But it's a friend in ministry. And he, he got close to his pastor. And he got to where he was going on trips with him and, and hunting with him. And, and, and he found out that his pastor wasn't perfect. He went... 
on one of the trips and got him hot dogs. But he didn't get the particular kind of wiener that his pastor liked. Now, that's getting pretty picky. If you put enough chili and onions on it and mustard, you know, it don't much matter about what kind of weenie it is. <laughs> You're not going to taste the weenie. Amen. But the pastor said, you know, I don't like that kind of wiener. I wish you'd have got this other kind. I only eat so-and-so. And he thought, good Lord, man, you know, give me a break. And after a while, he saw the cracks in the vessel. I mean, he wasn't doing any sinful thing. He just wasn't that perfect everything you know, example that the anointing would imply he could be or should be. He was a human being. And he had human flaws. The Apostle Paul had a problem with pride. And lest I be lifted up above measure through so many revelations, there was given to me an emissary from Satan to buffet me. And God told me His grace would be sufficient for that. And not only would I not fall into spiritual pride, God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. And these trials Paul was going through was humbling. And he kept saying things not that we're sufficient with all his anointing and appointing and revelation. Not that we are sufficient as of anything of ourselves. But our sufficiency is of the Lord. With all of the gifts and all of the anointing and all of the revelation. If it wasn't for the grace of God. I couldn't stand. I couldn't preach. I couldn't follow Jesus. I couldn't make it. But his strength is perfected in weakness. Therefore, if the perspective changed in Paul's life, I will take pleasure in persecutions. Oh, Lord, your flesh is... Come on, come on, be with me on that. Your flesh is saying right now, uh-uh! You persecute me! Or you persecute me! I said hurt. But it's very sufficient. Spirit in the of God in total dependency and a desperation without you. I can't take this. And Paul was so forthright about their limitations in the area of persecutions. Here's what he said as we hurry and close and beat the rain. He said, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, of the trouble that we had in Asia. How we were pressed. Everybody's got a limit. Say everybody's got a limit. Grace is so you can go beyond that limit. Sufficiency of grace allows you to go beyond your human limitations. But it doesn't deliver you from human limitations. There are no spiritual supermen or superwomen. There are people who are standing because of the grace of God. And if you get close to them, you will see that they're just like you. And just like me. They're imperfect. And God is still working in them. That's why Paul said, I haven't apprehended all that he apprehended me to apprehend. But forgetting the things that are behind and continuing to reach and strive. I like what Coach Lombardi said to his team. He said, perfection is unobtainable. Absolute perfection is unobtainable. But if you chase perfection, you can catch excellence. 
Can you say amen? If you chase perfection, you'll never obtain perfection, but but you can catch excellence. Hallelujah. And didn't Paul catch excellence? And didn't he become a shining example of what God can do in a clay vessel? Can you say, man? Hallelujah. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning the trouble that we experienced in Asia. How we were pressed beyond measure and despaired of life itself that we might learn not to trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead and then when they looked at him with all of the anointing upon him and flowing through him he said by the grace of God whatever I am I am by one reason by the grace of God and when he discovered the sufficiency of God's grace he became emboldened in spite of his own human limitations and weaknesses and said I can do all things Through Christ, which strengthens me. And it starts with grace, not power. Doesn't start with the power of the Holy Spirit. Starts with the person of Christ. Amen. He learned obedience through the things that he suffered. And he that's, oh, oh. He that suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Can you say amen? When do you suffer in the flesh? When you overrule and override your own human weakness and tendency to obey Christ. When I prayed for grace, it came. I was able to obey Christ and to love my enemy and do good to someone that despitefully used me. And it melted the heart of my enemy that day. And this guy became a very close friend of mine. Isn't that incredible? I'm so glad I didn't take the cab. I always had my way out. God can't teach you these things when you're in a cab running from the pressure. He can only teach you by taking you through. I'm so glad I didn't take the cab. By the way, everybody say the cab. I had cab money in my pocket. If the pressure gets too much, see, I didn't know how sufficient grace could actually be. I can bail out. Oh, by the way, in pastoring, the pressure has got 44 years. There have been some pressurized times when I wanted to take the cab. I wanted the boat to Tarshish. I've been to the docks. I read Jonah again, decided maybe I'd better not. No, I didn't read Jonah. It wasn't the fear of the whale swallowing me and God chasing me. You know what it was? It was what I've learned about grace. If you can just get past the panic, if you can get past that feeling of I can't take anymore, you can come to the place where you can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Can you say amen? But you can't get there until you come to an end of yourself. And by the way, that's going to be a short trip. It's not going to take a long time for you and me to get there. There's all kind of things that can get me there in a hurry. But I'm going to tell you something. I don't have cab fare. Not with sufficient grace. You don't need it. You don't need to run from the devil. 
You just need to run to God. There's a difference. The name of the Lord is what? A strong tower, a high tower. The righteous runneth into it and are safe. Are you running from the devil? No, you're running to God. You're running to God. You're not staying out there where you are vulnerable to your enemy. You're in the safety and the security of God's grace and God's love and God's power and God's presence and God's help. And I can report to you today His grace is sufficient. But you will never find it until you get where Paul was. The end of yourself. When you despair of life itself, you're not a good representation of this hyper-faith movement. You've got limitations. How many's ever lost it? We had a pastor. Ain't nothing to brag about, but anyway, I just—I was just asking for a hand. You, I lost it big time. <laughs> And she was there to see it. We, can I have a witness? So the treasure's in a what? An earthen vessel. When I went to the Holy Church of God, it was the most holy. We, we brought in a tapestry and put it up above the baptistry, and it was the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, and Jesus had long hair in it. We were told to take it down. Hippies were coming in. This back during the Jesus movement. Hippies were coming in, getting saved and baptized in water. But that long-haired Jesus, we couldn't, couldn't have that. He, not only long hair, he had a beard on top of that. And not only that, he wore sandals. Lord have mercy, take that picture of him down. We wanted him with a military haircut and Stacy Adams shoes. Can you say amen? Double-breasted suit. But we opened the door to the hippies. And the hippies came in and got saved. Start a coffee house ministry right down the street where the old X-rated theater used to be. Because we embraced them, introduced them to Jesus, and after a while they trimmed their hair and quit smoking the ganja weed. And you probably don't understand anything about ganja. You think weeds are something that grows in your yard. And, but anyway, they quit smoking the ganja weed and and got saved. Hallelujah. I put down my cigarettes when I got saved. God just delivered us from so much. But that pastor wore, she's a lady, she wore her dress down to her ankles, her sleeves down to her wrist. She just looked holy. And she lived holy. She taught holiness. And we appreciated it in her. But one day, I was talking to her after I became the pastor and she became very candid like Paul when he said I wouldn't have you to be ignorant of our trouble and how we were pressed beyond measure and she had a neighbor that was the devil was using to irritate her and agitate her and I thought well you know I'm listening to tell the story and I thought well you know you're a woman of the Lord you've been walking in this way for years you dress holy talk holy live holy she doesn't keep in. She said, "If I don't speak in tongues every day, if I miss a day, I repent and ask the Lord to refill me." And just, I mean, you know, she's just gung ho for God all the way, and she looked it and lived it, and I didn't question her. And, but she got very candid one day. She said, "My neighbor did something, and blamed it on me, and we had this encounter." And then I come out afterwards. I prayed about it, but I came out afterwards, and she was standing at the fence with her hands on her hips. So I went over to the fence to see what she was going to say now. 
And she said, you know, she started cussing me for everything in the world and said, Pastor Venable, I'm so ashamed of this. But I knew, you know, you can tell when people are really ashamed of it and when they're saying, but I got her. <laughs> you know, the flesh will glory in the wrong thing. She said, she said, before I knew it, she said, I smacked her face. And I thought, you didn't. <laughs> Come on, you're a woman of the Lord. You're wearing this big cross around your neck and you're, 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 you're dressed down to your ankles and your sleeves down to your wrist. You didn't slap nobody. She said, I did. But I apologized immediately. I said, ma'am, I'm so sorry. I, 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 should have, I, I came out here before I finished praying. That's how you do it. That's how you do it, Sean. You just suck them and say, oh, I'm sorry. I should have prayed harder. You know how it is. No. The treasure. The treasure of the mighty Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, living in a vessel that is an earthen vessel that is dependent more on grace to empower than the dunamis of the Holy Spirit. How many tongue-talking people have let anger cause them? Or how many have given in to some temptation? And you'd think with all of that power to overcome the power. You see, it's not power that came on me when I was so angry with Tico. It was a person. It was wanting to please a master. It was wanting to be an example for Jesus and not just show myself. This lady repented. She apologized. She asked God's forgiveness. But I think I was the only person in her maybe two more in her inner circle that, you know, the Bible said, confess your faults to one another and don't be quick to judge. Look at the earthiness of the vessel. Know that grace is not only necessary from God, but grace is necessary from us to one another. Amen. I wish I could say I'm so anointed with the Holy Spirit, I will never fail you. You'll never see a flaw in me. You will see it. But when you see it, please be gracious and say, you know, look, he's, he's not a mean person. He's not a bad person, but he sure is an imperfect person. And I had him on this pedestal of perfection and no one is up there but Jesus. Everybody say no one but Jesus. But I want to be excellent. I want the more excellent way. Amen. The uh, tongues and gifts are wonderful, Paul said, but... Becoming more like Christ is better than all of that power for charisma and charismata and gifts of the Spirit. The mightiest work of the Holy Spirit is not prophecy or interpretation or a vision or a dream or anointing or a gift of healing or a gift of miracles or a gift of faith. The mightiest work of the Holy Spirit is to make us more like Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? That is the grandest goal of God for His people. And it's a goal we will never reach until He comes. But when He comes, corruptible, going to put on incorruption. Hallelujah. Mortal is going to put on immortality. 
And when we see Him, we will know Him, for we will see Him as He is, for we will be just like Him. Our vile bodies will be fashioned after His glorious body. Can you say, man? But until then, we are to go on toward what? Perfection. We will never achieve it, but we can catch excellence while we're seeking to be what we need to be and what God has called us to be. Don't get discouraged when you get discouraged. Amen. God knows. You know what David said to God? Thou pitieth me. In other words, you show me mercy. Because you know how foolish I am. One of the great things that he learned about God was God understood him. He didn't excuse his sin, but he understood why he sinned. He said, Lord, thou takest mercy upon me and pity upon me because thou knowest, you know above everybody, I am but dust. Without you, I'm programmed to fail. I'm prone to failure. I'm not making excuses, but thank God when I call on you to forgive me and restore me and help me not to continue to fail. I know you're going to hear me. I know you're going to answer me. The reason I know it is because you know me and you understand me. Wow. When God gave Peter understanding, it changed him. It changed him. He said the heart, he looked past Peter's flaws. He looked past Peter's failures. He said the heart is indeed willing. But you haven't conquered weak flesh yet. But your flesh is weak. Peter, couldn't you watch with me just one hour? I'm not asking you for an all-night prayer vigil. I'm asking you to support me while I go over there and make this commitment to the cross. I'm asking you to pray with me one hour. And when he came back, after he went through the pressures he went through in this human form, you talk about, the Bible said that he, he was, it's not pressed beyond measure, it was another term in the garden, in that olive press garden it said he his soul was sorrowful Jesus in one of these containers God incarnate in flesh experienced what our flesh experiences he was sorrowful unto death Jesus is that in the Bible Did it happen in the garden? Listen, because he felt and feels and has experienced everything that humanity can experience. Because he walked in one of these earthen vessels while he was here. We don't have a high priest sitting aloof in his heaven saying, you better get it together or else. But we have a high priest that is touched that feels what we feel and feels for us. He's not condoning sin. He's not looking over sin. He's not endorsing sin. But He knows what causes us to sin. And He's given us a way to have victory, to not let it reign in our mortal bodies. And it begins with the grace and mercy that is offered us. Can you say, man, we don't have a high priest that can't be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points, say it with me, all points, 
tempted as we are. Can you imagine that? Yet without sin. Therefore, because we have a high priest like this, therefore, let us come boldly with courage and faith in our heart that He's going to receive us and help us even when we falter, even if we fail. Can you say, man, therefore, let us come boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy and grace to help in the time of any need. Can you say, man, no matter what the need, His grace is what? Sufficient. And when you discover the sufficiency of His grace, no matter what the circumstance, pressure, or problem, you begin to say, not just as an act of faith, but with a clear understanding of grace, I can! Not that I can't! Thank God you put it on the website. You heard that sermon on being an I can Christian. And hallelujah. Amen. And you put it in highlight. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And the strength doesn't become with just power, but with the person of Christ who says, I get it. I understand you. I love you. And I know just what you need and how to help you. And you're going to discover at the end of yourself, my grace is sufficient for you. And once you discover that, you're going to discover that His strength is made perfect in weakness, not in that person who never gets down, never admits persecution, getting them down, never admits, oh, not only... Are we cast down but not forsaken? We're perplexed. But not in despair. We don't know. We don't know what God's doing all the time. We're asked to trust without knowing. With all of our heart. And not to lean to our understanding. But to trust His love. To trust His wisdom. To trust His plan for our life. And to know that everything is working together for good. Amen. Did you know what happened that day? That crew saw more than a preacher that didn't go drink with them. They saw more than a man who didn't stand around when they were telling the dirtiest jokes they could think of. They saw a man controlling his anger when they felt like it was justifiable anger. When I kicked over that tub, there were three people looking at me. And I turned around and I said, I picked up the tub. And I didn't apologize to the tub, but I apologized to them. I said, I'm so sorry. But they were as upset with everything as I was. I said, I'm so sorry. And they were so sympathetic to me. They said, listen. They called me Rev. They said, Rev, you're only human. I said, I know. I get it. I know that. And you can see that. But I said, I am a follower of Jesus. I am a follower. I'm a human following, seeking to follow Jesus. That's the air kicking on. Just, just so you know, you know, it's not a tornado or anything. Sucking, sucking all the air out of the room. and It's just the air kicking on. You're a good audience. I wish I had y'all all the time. I wish I could just, I wish we could restrict it just to you guys. This is a good service. No tares among the wheat. Praise God. People here are confessing their humanity. 
And there's some people in this room going to run to Jesus. Not, you're not going to be down on yourself. You're not going to keep questioning God. You're just going to go to Jesus and say, Lord, help me. There's so many sermons in this. When the sufficiency of grace is experienced and realized, then you look at the next thing coming and say, I've been there and His grace was sufficient. I can. The actual Greek would read this way before you think of walking on the water, spiritual gifts or achievements. It would read this way. I can do all things means I am equal to anything. In other words, whatever the devil throws, whatever life throws at me, whatever my own limitations stress to, I am equal to that. I can. I have learned down in Asia when God didn't take away the pressure, but he taught me about his grace. That we might learn what? The greatest lesson of the Christian life. Not to trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Can you say amen? And you don't learn that at Bible school or cemetery. I mean seminary. You learn that through the school of life. The school of hard knocks. Of falling on your face. And having God lift you up. When you couldn't get up yourself. And finding out that God is with you like he promised. And God is for you like he said that he was. Hallelujah. Isn't it good to know a God like that? With a love like this. Hallelujah. When I met Pamela, I, I, this was back in the 50s. I used, to, I used to listen to the song and think of Pamela. What kind of love is this that makes me want to jump and shout? I want to know. what. Oh, don't, don't judge my singing. Don't judge. Don't judge. What kind of love is this that turns my whole life inside out? I get that itchy, gitchy feeling down in my bones. Oh, don't look at me as you ain't. Like you ain't got that itchy, gitchy feeling before. Come on, give me a fist bump. I know. Give me that. Come on. It's time for honesty today. Give me a fist bump. Come on. You ain't never got that itchy, gitchy feeling. I didn't say you had it anymore. I said there was a time when you had it. But when I got saved, when I got saved, when I got saved, I heard that same song and I didn't think of Pamela. I thought about Jesus. And I thought about the lyrics, not the tune or the 50s or the rock and roll. I thought, what kind? And Paul did the same thing. He should have copyrighted the song. Amen. What manner? What kind of love? Come on, what manner? Come on, we're almost done. Hallelujah. What kind of love? What manner of love is this? What? What? It's unbelievable. And yet it's true. What kind of love is this? That we... Flawed, broken, cracked pots might be called the sons and daughters of the living God. And that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit can come and move in and live within us. That Christ in us is the hope of glory. What does that mean? Down payment on heaven's what it means. The Holy Spirit is that down payment. We are all friend of mine. If God the Father, God the Son, 
and God the Holy Spirit can live in you, you can live in the holy city. Amen. Because it's not the gold, it's not the silver, it's not the pearls that make it holy. What makes it holy is the one who lives and in, in heaven, and that's God. And But listen, that God who makes the city holy has come to live in us because the blood has sanctified us in the inward man. The outward man has to be put on the cross. He can't be reformed. <laughs> I, I preached a message like this at the old holy church of God. And the guy, I, I, t- I almost took him literally, and I thought I was going to have to talk him down. He said, Brother Bumble, I know what to do after this service. I said, you do? He said, absolutely. I'm going straight home and kill myself. He's talking about crucifying the flesh. At first, my eyes got wide, and I was going to rebaptize him. Can you say that? <laughs> He said, I'm not going to let the flesh rule me any longer. I said, in that case, more power to you. I'll hand you the nails. Amen. God is good today. And God loves you today. And I know where Heartbreak Hotel is. And Elvis is not the only one that's been there. But I also know about the God who grants the grace that is sufficient for my heartache, my heartbreak, my hurt. Pentecostals have been power-oriented, and thank God for the power. I'm a full gospel preacher. I am Pentecostal. But power separated from the person Lord help us can't grant the grace we need it doesn't pour the oil and wine into the wound so when the Bible said thou anointest my head with oil you know what that's about that's not about Pentecostals getting a gift of the spirit or speaking in tongues it's not about the Holy Spirit it's about a shepherd who sees a sheep with a head wound And the flies are laying eggs in it. It's getting infected. You know what he does? He takes herbs to kill the infection. He puts it in something to transfer it and hold it in place called oil. He mixes it, the herbs, and he stirs it with olive oil. He goes out to that sheep that would get infected and die. And you know what he does? He takes that oil. And everywhere the anointing is mentioned, it means to rub in. It has to get in. It can't stay on you. It has to get in you to be a help to you. And you know what he does? He takes it and he rubs it in that wound. And the moment that oil and those healing herbs are held in place, the healing of that wound begins. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. It was grace and mercy that caused him to get into that place of overflowing joy in the goodness of God. Can you say amen? Is there no bomb in Gilead? Is there no physician there? There's a healing for hurting people. And you know what church is? It's a hospital. And as we close today, I want to pray for our sister. You don't have to come forward. Everybody, if you can just pray with me for our sister. She's lost a mama that was more than just a paternal relation with her. 
She lost her best girlfriend. And there's nobody physically, husband, children, brother and sister in the Lord, there's no one that can take her place. But there is one who can grant her grace and mercy today and point her beyond the heartache and heartbreak of death and this fallen world to the hope of heaven so that every time she thinks of mama she can't wait to get to heaven can't wait for Jesus to come it's not the gates of the city the streets of gold you know what the draw is I'm going to be with the people I love forever and death did not win and I can't wait I wouldn't care listen my daddy's there my mother is there my daughter is there my aunts and uncles are there Heaven is sweeter because they are there. I want to see Jesus. And I want to see my loved ones. And I don't care if I've got a... I would like a double wide. But I don't care if it's a double wide on an acre with Bahia grass. I'll be perfectly happy. I'll be just as happy as I can be. It don't have to be gold and silver. It don't have to have any of the precious stuff. People is the reason He prepared the place. Can you say, man, it's so we could be together forever. Father, I pray for my sister. I've been where she is. My son is there. Never never dreamed that my son would beat me to heaven. But he's there. And I thank God there's a there for him. And I thank God I'm going to be there with him. And I thank God death did not prevail. Hallelujah. Death, where's your sting? And grave, where's your victory? You will not hold us. You didn't hold them. They're with you. And when the trump sounds, we're going to be with you. Hallelujah. And we're going to be with you forever. And nothing will ever separate us again. Thank you for heaven. And thank you for Jesus. And everyone said amen and amen. Father, grant that special grace that only you can give today. And I believe it's coming and flowing to my sister in Jesus Christ's name. And in her family. In her family. In her family. Oh, Lord, here's where the enemy, your enemies shall become they of your own household sometimes. Some people, no one could hurt you like someone that close. Let there be oil. Let there be wine. Let there be victory. Let there be sufficient grace. Let there be mercy. Let there be a strength that comes from it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God is pouring oil. God is pouring wine. God is anointing the head with oil. I believe that. Did you get anything out of this teaching today? Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Oh, I love the Lord today. I don't think He's done with me, Sean. I I don't think He's done. For a while I did. It wasn't because I had cab fare ready to bail out because of the pressures. It's just because I have the treasure in an earthen vessel. And sometimes... I get tired. Amen. Then I read about Jesus being weary at Jacob's well. Until a woman come and he saw her need. And he jumped up and began to share the good news with her. And new energy came to him. I love the energy that comes to share the good news of Jesus. Hallelujah. I want to preach 
the good news till he comes. Hallelujah. Will you stand to your feet today?